Coming up, a new spat in the search for a new police chief. Does the Board of Police Commissioners even listen to what the community wants to see happen for their city? Two years after being hired, could the city manager be heading out the door? Should it be called OKU, the big hospital merger that's shaking up Kansas City healthcare, plus wrapping up two weeks of public hearings on a plan to take the streetcar to the stadiums? What happens now? Also this half hour, it's the top race on the Kansas ballot. So why are we hearing so little about it? Those stories and the rest of the week's news straight ahead. Week in Review is made possible through the generous support of AARP Kansas City, RSM, Dave and Jamie Cummings, Bob and Marlise Gorley, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize and Bank of America N.A., co-trustees, and by viewers like you. Thank you. Hello and welcome, I'm Nick Haynes. We're glad you could join us on our weekly romp through the news of our week, dissecting the most impactful, confusing, and befuddling local headlines. Our Lisa Rodriguez from KCUR News, heading up the call newspaper, Eric Wesson. From KMBC 9 News, Chief Political Analyst Michael Mahoney. And from the pages of your Kansas City star, Dave Helling. It's been six months now since Rick Smith stepped down as Kansas City Police Chief. Now the search for his successor is creating new tensions this week. The Kansas City Chamber and several other civic groups have sent a joint letter to the police board expressing alarm that the public is being shut out of the selection process. Next week, the police board is scheduled to interview six candidates for the job, but they have not revealed any of the names. One police board member says they will hold forums with the public once they've narrowed their search to three finalists. So what's wrong with that, Lisa? Well, this is this is the way that they conducted the police search last time around. When, and when, as when, most companies do. And as they? most companies do. I think the difference and the reason that, that we're seeing tensions arise now is because we're in a far different moment than we were when when Rick Smith became police chief. The, the controversy over his departure, the calls over months and months and months for him to step down, um, and, and kind of the, the racial tensions that we've seen between the Kansas City Police Department citizens of Kansas City. People want more. There's more stakes here. So while the process is pretty traditional, the way things have done it, the interest is so much higher and the calls for transparency are so much greater. Earlier this year, uh, Eric, uh, uh, several black ministers put out a checklist of what they were looking for in a new police chief. They said every resume from within the current department needs to be rejected. But I've seen some news reports that say at least three of the six candidates being interviewed likely next Next week are internal to that department. So what happens if one of these candidates is selected to be the next police chief? Well, one eyebrow raiser is the fact that none of them are minority. Uh, and I think that that caused some well, concerns. One is, one is of them is an Hispanic uh, major within well, the department. Well, let me department. be specific then. None of them are black. And I think that's what upset some of the people in the police department. And we talked about transparency. And I think this is the million-dollar question. Is what people want to know is what are the Board of Police Commissioners asking these candidates? And I think that's what people want to know. And that's why uh, people in the community want to be a part of the process. You give us three candidates at the end. Well, what did you ask the other three candidates that you rejected? What's their resumes? And I know there are some issues about 
people not wanting to know that their employers are that they're looking for another job, so that's why they're not uh, releasing the names. But people want to know what the board, because people don't trust this board. But race remains an extraordinarily component of this discussion, Nick. The, the, the main tension remains in the department or outside of the department because I think there is a feeling in the broad community that it would be helpful to have a new voice uh, lead the department and propose some different framework for the way the city is, is policed. And yet you get the sense from this board and past boards and past history that they're just paying lip service to going outside and that they'll pick someone who's already on the force one way or another uh, and that will lead to disappointment. But I will tell if you. in the next few months, Michael, they do pick somebody who is already internal to the department, what would happen then? If there's not a, a fresh set of eyes uh, on this, people are going to be very disappointed. There was concern also about the fact that there was a Justice Department investigation, and perhaps, Dave, that nobody would even apply. Would outside would want to come and, and do this? Yet they well, have a, a robust selection of candidates. Twenty-one people applied. Yeah, it's a lucrative position. You can make some good money for a police chief, but one hundred and eighty-nine thousand dollars, unless you put perks in your contract, that's not really a lot of money for a city this size. Funny. Well, yeah, me too. Uh, <laughs> you make. <laughs> well, here's somebody no who actually gets paid more than that. He was picked two years ago as city manager. But could Brian Platt be now on his way out the door? Several internet sites, including Tony's KC, claims a shake-up is about to happen. Also, department, according to those rumors, is the head of the Parks Board, Jack Holland. But just because someone writes something on the internet doesn't mean it's true. Is there any validity that there is a big shape-up about to happen at City Hall, Michael? It is um, hard for me to say uh, definitively uh, on it, but, uh, you know, there's, there's rumblings out there without, uh, without question. Dave? Yes, I think that uh, you remember about a month ago on this show, we talked about the letter from Brian Platt hiring someone to represent the city's interests on the stadium, uh, which sort of collapsed. Uh, in part because the count and the reason I got that story is because there are council members who are not happy with Brian Platt and they want to make sure the uh, the public understands that but I think it is growing uh, now he does enjoy the support of Mayor Quentin Lucas and that's extraordinarily important because Lucas can exercise whatever authority he can to keep council members in line. But it's a, it's a development worth watching, there's no question about it. I did see, Lisa, you, a story from you from two years ago when he was first hired and all of the uh, hope and optimism about what he would do to Kansas City. But we, as consumers, though, we're most interested in having the trash picked up, not having potholes, uh, having the snow shoveled from our streets when we've had a winter storm. Has he delivered on those items? I, I, think, I think he's done... A, a decent job at those bread and butter things. Those are certainly not the conversations that are dominating um, City Hall these days, as they were a few years ago. But um, but I do think Dave is right. There are tensions there. There are city council members that are not pleased or don't think that he is working for them the way that he should. I don't know if he enjoys the mayor's support right now as much as it's elections time and the mayor might be in a position, well, if we make a move to get rid of the city manager now, then what does that look like for my election? But I haven't talked to a lot of city council people that are warm and fuzzy about him. I think Brian Platt might be more of an issue for Lucas, Jersey, yeah, yeah, for Lucas, if we felt like, and maybe my uh, colleagues agree or disagree, if we felt like there was really going to be a race for mayor in 2023, and yet 
Uh, uh, certainly, if there is a major candidate getting ready to run against Lucas, I'm not aware of it. And by the way, that applies to the police chief selection too, Nick. The lack of a competitive mayoral race will change the dynamic, I think, of the choice of the chief and whatever happens to Brian Clark. Kansas City Transit leaders wrapped up three days of public hearings this week to try and gauge your interest in a new streetcar line that would take riders all the way to the sports stadiums. The current streetcar that we do have um, is limited capacity as, as many people that do go to the games don't know if everybody's going to fit in one streetcar. It would be more um, helpful for us people that do work at the stadiums and work across from the stadiums to get to and from work. The city's first east-west route would cross state lines, moving passengers from as far as the University of Kansas Hospital to Kaufman and Arrowhead stadiums, likely along 39th Street. What did we learn, if anything, from these public hearings, Lisa? I think at this point we're st we still have a lot of questions. I think the desire for a, a more robust east-west transit line is clearly there. The need is there. Um, is is the streetcar the way to do it? Exactly how many stops would it be? Does it have the capacity to really be an effective uh, transit option for a lot of people that need to go uh, from the stadium to uh, to KU Med or anywhere in between? I think that's that's still a question. The streetcar isn't a fast-moving uh, vehicle by any means. And so I think when we're talking about this, I think the need is there, whether the streetcar's there, whether it's a question of max buses, that's, that's still up in, in the air. It was city manager Brian Platt, Michael Mahoney, who said he would love to see that streetcar line be ready and implemented by the time our international visitors come into Kansas City for the World Cup in 2026. Are they still moving in that direction, or have they given up? on that is just too, I'm, too I'm big sure of that would, to crack. I'm sure they would like that as a goal, but that's, we're talking about adding 10 miles or so of streetcar line, and they're still trying to put the extension from uh, Union Station down to uh, UMKC in the, in the plaza. That's, uh, that's not going to be ready to tw uh, until 25. Uh, going out to the stadium with a um, mass transit project like, uh, like that is, uh, is very unrealistic. And the, uh, the, the whole idea of uh, the need for east-west mass transit is most definitely there. I don't think that the priority should be to go all the way out to the sports complex because we don't know what it's going to sports complex <laughs> It's going to look like right, right. right. Uh, but, but east west does, does need to happen, but uh, maybe a, a shorter line. But the World Cup is looming, and transportation is going to be a big part of that, Dave Helling. And I did have a chance to speak to Kathy Nelson from Visit KC, who also is the head of the Sports Commission. And I asked her about the bid was the streetcar going to the stadiums part of that Kansas City bid to host those uh, early Olymp uh, World Cup games? And she said, no, yeah. we only had buses. I mean, but how, how is that going to work? Are they going to be trying to rent or buy thousands of buses to make well, all of Well, no, they work? wouldn't buy them, Nick, and it wouldn't be thousands. There might be hundreds of buses involved, but uh, Mike will remember this. When Kansas City bid on the 2016 Republican National Convention, there's a whole plan involved in terms of getting additional buses into a community to get delegates from their hotels downtown. It's very intricate and can be done and would be done in this case because you would not spend... $60 million a mile on a streetcar, 10 miles, do the math, that's $600 million minimum, just to transport people for two or three weeks to soccer games. That would not be a wise expenditure. So the important point Mike makes and the other, my other colleagues make is this is about 
mass transit for communities that could use it and could and need it, and it would get them from job to job. It's it should not be about soccer or baseball or football uh, really, and I think that conversation will continue. Now that KU Hospital is buying up the Olathe Health System, perhaps we could see the streetcar finally make it to Johnson County. Did you see that story? We're excited to extend our highly specialized provider network to the Olathe Health Service area, including southern Johnson County and beyond. The vastly expanding KU Health System is now gobbling up Olathe Medical Center and its system's more than 2,000 doctors, nurses, and medical support staff. What does this all mean to us as patients, Lisa? I think I think it's it's an expansion of KU's footprint across the across the metro. Olathe officials have said that this could help them modernize um, some of their equipment. It's an infusion of of more financial resources that are more stabilized. Does, does it does it create fear for people like a Truman Medical Center who are thinking, boy, everybody's going to be gobbled up. There's only going to be a couple of systems in Kansas City when it comes to hospitals in the near future. Eventually, it probably would be like that. But if you're living in that area, you might get better service, updated staff, updated equipment. It really impact Truman quite as much because Truman is supported by taxpayers and it's a facility for low-income residents, which is good. And it may not compete that much with the uh, health system, KU health system. Uh, but it may raise some eyebrows in Topeka, Nick, for this reason. There will be people in Topeka who say, why can you buy Olathe but not buy the hospital in my backyard that's under stress because of lack of patients or whatever? And so the un you know, it's not uneasy, but the interesting relationship between legislators and the hospital system might get more interesting in part because of this deal. Now, last week we debated Amendment 3, which would decriminalize marijuana in Missouri. It came the same week President Biden announced plans to pardon Americans who have been convicted on federal pot possession charges, while at the same time pushing state governors to follow his lead. Did Mike Parson in Missouri and Laura Kelly in Kansas say, yep, Mr. President, we're going to do the same thing here, Michael? Nope, they didn't. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Mike Parson famously says that uh, if uh, they legalize recreational marijuana in Missouri, it's going to be a disaster. Uh, Governor Kelly, during the debate that you hosted so well uh, a little while ago, uh, was very, very circumspect about marijuana, except to the extent that she wants medical marijuana in the state. Uh, and uh, her opponent, Derek Schmitz, kicked the door open a little bit. Uh, towards medical marijuana in his view, but medical marijuana in Kansas, should it ever come to pass, is going to be very different than what even mer medical marijuana well, looks why like would be in, she, Why in would Missouri. Laura Kelly, though, be so reluctant to do so? Would she, is it because she would be viewed potentially by her opponent and her critics as being soft on crime, Lisa? I, I think that's part of it. You know, she's, we have to be mindful that she's in an election and she's walking the line and trying not to uh, be too far to the left on any single issue. I think there's also some complications in the way that Kansas law is written and her actual ability to carry through. If she were to make a blanket promise and then not be able to deliver on it, that would have very negative consequences for her as well. But I do think, you know, if the next step in this proposal from, from the Biden administration is to declassify marijuana as a federal, <laughs> uh, as a federal offense, then that does open the door. That eliminates a lot of barriers that have been keeping Kansas lawmakers from taking any steps toward uh, any sort of legalization. I did see this week also the Missouri Supreme Court has now written to the governor saying it now needs nearly $7 million 
to pay for the cost of erasing uh, those marijuana-related convictions, Dave, as part of that uh, Amendment 3 action. So is this going to be like the Medicaid expansion issue where lawmakers will find a way of not giving them the money to stop well, it from, from taking place? Now, remember, they tried to find a way to stop Medicaid expansion but failed because the court stepped in and said, nope, the voters said yes, and you've got to implement it, and they're doing so quite reluctantly now. Uh, the difference is that, of course, legal marijuana generates money for the state. Medicaid expansion does not do so directly, although there's an argument that because it hires people and there's, that money goes through the economy. So I think there'll be a little less uh, a reaction to it than there was on Medicaid, although this legislature and the subsequent legislatures may show that they don't really like what the voters want to say on virtually anything, and so you can expect this to be a subject of some debate going forward. And the other thing to remember very quick, quickly on this is that Governor Kelly did try to link up medical marijuana with Medicaid expansion, and that went nowhere in Kansas. Yeah. Now, advanced voting begins next week in Kansas, and when you pick up your ballot, you may be surprised to see that at the very top is a U.S. Senate race. Even though it's getting very little attention, Republican Senator Jerry Moran is facing off against a pretty well-known name around here, Mark Holland. He's the former mayor of Wyandotte County, who is now a Democratic candidate for the U.S. Senate seat. With little money, he's running a social media campaign where he goes on a tongue-in-cheek search for Moran, who he claims is dodging debates. We've been looking for Jerry Moran to do a debate, and it turns out that you're more likely to see Sasquatch here than Jerry Moran on debate day at the state fair. Well, forget about the Sasquatch. The last time Kansans elected a Democratic senator was in 1932, the same year Franklin Delano Roosevelt won his first <laughs> presidential term. Is that why we're hearing so little about this race? Pundits have written off Democrats from taking the office? Uh, uh, yes, because uh, I think that most people think, most sort of pundits don't think it's a competitive race. We actually met with Mark Holland today on the editorial board, and he thinks he has a path, uh, in part because of the changing nature of Johnson County, which is growing in Democratic registrations and not shrinking in Republican legislation, but the gap is really narrowing, and because of the outcome of the abortion vote in August 2nd. And he thinks if he can get half of the margin... Uh, for his campaign as the no vote got in August uh, in the counties that matter, that he has a chance to catch Jerry. But, but he's, he's not running any TV ads. He doesn't have, uh, the, he's not showing any of that promise in the polls, Eric. No. And if I hadn't driven out now uh, this past Sunday, I wouldn't have even known he were, was running. Mayor Holland, Holland's problem here is the fact that he is just getting swamped by a boatload of money. His, his uh, uh, third quarter report isn't in yet, but he had less than a half million dollars in July. And at that same time, the Moran campaign had over six million and uh, five million is still in cash. It's very difficult to run successfully statewide, no matter what sort of uh, path you, you, you think you see out there when you're broke. The party hasn't done it for nearly 100 years. It, it, the, the battle is uphill, to mix my metaphors. Well, take the party out of it. Was he a good mayor? Yeah, you know? we, we talked about yeah, that, too. Yeah, I, I think, despite I the... those people wanted a grocery store his whole term. Uh, yeah, I, I think... Uh, 
I think he wasn't a, ba a bad mayor, but uh, he got beat because there was a sense of uh, the KCK wanted a sense of change there, and he was the status quo, and uh, and, and, and it cost him. I, you know, I don't think he had a particularly troubled mayor's administration. It's been one of those election years where there have been very few debates. None, in fact, are planned in the big U.S. Senate race in Missouri that pits Eric Schmidt against Trudy Bush Valentine. But even at the local level, some candidates are doing all they can to avoid the limelight and dodge any public exchanges. Which brings us to the question, where is Frank White? And like the two candidates running to be leader in Johnson County, the Jackson County executive has so far avoided every forum in his re-election bid against county legislator Teresa Galvin. White even declined to appear before the Kansas City Star editorial board. Dave, I know many Republican candidates don't choose to attend these meetings. But how unusual is it that a local leader and a Democrat want to do boot simply declines to take part? Well, it's unusual. I mean, most of the time, most Democratic candidates in races we choose to endorse feel like they have a chance to earn that endorsement if they come in and chat and they uh, show up. Uh, Frank White, uh, not only, but Let's take the editorial board problem off the table because that, that's a tactical decision that he and other candidates are free to make. The fact is that his record is uh, uh, controversial. And we endorsed Teresa Galvin in part because Frank White has had problems on the jail, on property valuations in, um, in Jackson County, and because the stadium discussion will be critical in the next four years and the county executive will be at the center of that and we get no sense from Frank White of how we might handle that other than generalities. So I think he's in more trouble than people know. Again, I'll but, but, refer but, but to my But is the tactic on his part that uh, let's not give Teresa Galvin, his opponent, any oxygen so I'm not going to do any of these forums? Right, and that's a lot of them. That's their philosophy. We, we talked about that the other day, is not giving them a platform or exposure because if you give them exposure, you expose their weaknesses. But with and he almost yeah. got beat by a no-name with no right. money. Right. So he's that's very vulnerable. Yeah. He's yeah. very vulnerable. But that's not a, a bad t strategy when fewer people are getting the newspaper, fewer people are watching local TV news. Right. I mean, there there may be a, a tactic with this campaign that more people know who Frank White is than know who the Jackson County executive is. And so, <laughs> and yeah. so there's, you know, there, he still does have that name recognition and, and refusing to, you know, to, to participate in debates does kind of take the oxygen away from his opponent. The Galvin campaign uh, likes where they're at. It will be one to, to keep an eye on. And the, the, this, this whole idea of uh, politicians ducking a semi-hard question is cowardly. <laughs> when you put a program like this together every week, you can't get to every story grabbing the headlines. What was the big local story we missed? Love this dude right here, baby. This we is my dog. Fighting. We keep fighting, baby. It's the week of the massive comeback, the big shove and an Indigenous People's Day protest calling for a new name for the chiefs. It makes me feel disgusting. I think we make too much political hype about that nowadays. People just want to come out and have fun. Two high schools and eight elementary schools could close as early as next fall. The latest recommendation in a consultant's report looking into declining enrollment in the Kansas City, Missouri School District. Plus the numbers are in $1.3 million. That's how much Kansan spent on sports betting during the first month it became legal in the state. It's a pittance compared to how much former Missouri Senator Jack Danforth spent on propping up John Wood's failed independent campaign for Missouri Senate. Wood's 55-day campaign cost Danforth $6 million. And we might not be getting visits from President Biden or former President Donald Trump, but lots of other big political names stopping by. Ted Cruz here this week campaigning for Eric Schmidt and Mark Alford. 
Former Vice President Mike Pence heads to Kansas next week to rally for Derek Schmidt. Already, Eric Wesson, did you pick one of those stories or something completely different? Yes, I picked one of those. I picked the school district closing schools. I think one of the most controversial possible closing is going to be Central High School with an enrollment of 400 kids. My other story is the Kansas City Calls fundraising campaign to fix our building. <laughs> <laughs> So you're in desperate need over there, are you? We are. We are pretty much close to being there. The city was supposed to help us with something, and they kind of pulled back on us. So uh, we're we're gonna we need I to get that a, building fixed. I know a printing plant you could probably buy <laughs> if you're interested. Lisa. I think that Kansas City Public Schools re restructuring is, is hugely important, particularly when you think about how we're moving students around and how much longer it may take them to get to school. Absolutely something to watch. And I understand also some necessary pain for the school district as well. The other thing is, is Shawnee City Council taking a vote on, uh, on support of a potential statewide trans sports ban, um, which is the first local jurisdiction to to publicly uh, put a stake in the ground on that. Michael. The uh, Kansas City, Missouri school consolidation without question, but I'll add this. But it is only a recommendation. Uh, they haven't it, said it's a right, done deal. Right, uh, but, you know, I think we can all read it. <laughs> anyway, the, the point is, on Twitter, some of the comments that I have seen about uh, this uh, uh, tech on the field at the Arrow, uh, at Arrowhead got shoved by the Oakland Raider, astonishingly, the guy had credentials. He was working. Mm -hmm. He was entitled to be there. And people are saying, well, you know, he shouldn't have been there. Yes, he was there. He was, uh, he was working. And... Some, uh, excusing the actions of that football player, is just astonishing. Yeah, Mike and I have some experience in being <laughs> shoved by people at campaign events, so we're, we're um, accustomed to that. No, I thought one of the important stories was the subtext of the sports gambling story in Kansas. You mentioned $1.3 million the first month. The state's take was $130,000. That is nothing. Yeah. Uh, if that continues... That's a yearly take of about one and a half million dollars. The original estimate was five. It's virtually no money at all. That's so, not enough for them to get a professional sports team to Kansas, which that is what we, they were You know, for. we were doing the math the other day to get the Chiefs to go across to Kansas or out at the Speedway. You'd have to use that money for 150 years or some incredible number. It, it isn't enough to do that. And one of the things people are starting to talk about is, okay, take that money and use it on something else. Now, they'd have to change the statute to do it. But if it's just that small amount of cash, the idea that sports gaming uh, can help solve a state's fiscal crisis is being disproved so far in Kansas. And on that, we will say our week has been reviewed thanks to KCY's Lisa Rodriguez and Channel 9's Michael Mahoney. Always on call at the Kansas City Call, Eric Wesson and Dave Helling of your Kansas City Star. Next week, Cherise Davids will be in the studio as we partner with the Shawnee Mission Post and KCUR News in bringing you the Kansas 3rd District Congressional Debate. It's Davids versus Adkins. I hope you'll join us then. I'm Nick Haynes from all of us here at Kansas City PBS. Be well, keep calm, and carry on.